Um, also, it's been a while since I've been up here, so please Beth. Um, this morning's reading is from Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. Um, and as we turn to our passage, um, I know we say this a lot, but um, maybe be reminded that this is God's word. Um, and through it, he tells us of his love for us um, and his gospel. Um, this passage is a challenging one. Um, and yeah, as we read it, let's just be mindful of the challenge that it is to us today. So let's let us listen to the words of the Lord this morning. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we can gather here this morning. Thank you that we can listen to your word. Help us to be challenged by it. Help us to in the discomfort that this, pa this passage may bring to us. Um, I pray that you will give Andrew the guidance that he needs to talk about it um, and that we will all take something away from it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Hannah. Good morning, guys. Good to see you. It's good to be back with you. Good to see people that I haven't seen in a while as well. Uh, summer's weird like that, isn't it? You just don't see people that you really like. Um, cool. Uh, keep your Bibles open to Luke 11. Um, and we're just going to, as we usually do, work our way through this passage. 
Um, if, if you're like me, then it's the, the, the COVID pandemic seems like it was yesterday, but also seems like a long time ago as well, doesn't it? And now when you look back on it, it seems like one of the weirdest times that we ever went through, and it probably was. Um, but one of the things that the pandemic did for us as a society, I think, is that it heightened everybody's sense of right and wrong, didn't it? Everybody thought, I know what's right and I know they're being wrong. <laughs> That's what we, the kind of way we viewed it. And everybody had their own ideas about um, how they should follow the rules and if you shouldn't follow the rules and getting mad at people who didn't follow the rules and, and being pleased that we did follow the rules or whatever it may have been for you. And, and one of the things that, that I think that this did was it kind of made us more sensitive to hypocrisy. Um, you might remember hearing about uh, the Prime Minister's main advisor uh, tr driving the length of England to go and visit his family, and uh, he said he was testing his eyes by driving a car to some castle or something. And then you remember all the pictures and videos came out of all the government parties and the Prime Minister was at. And, and we were all rightly um, annoyed about this because there's something that we, for good reason, find inherently repulsive about hypocrisy. It's false, it's fake, it's disingenuous. You know, when you see all the influencers posting their perfect pictures of their perfect lives online, you're, it, it kind of annoys us in some way because we're like, I, I know your life isn't like that, you know? Hypocrisy makes us rightly angry and disappointed. But how much worse is hypocrisy when it comes to, to Christianity? How, how much worse is it? Like, I, I'm sure that we've all heard of, of Christian leaders who have, who have, uh, uh, being covering up abuse or an affair or something like this, and, and it kind of hurts us, it grieves us, because these are people who, on the outside, seem to have it all together. They are the ones who, who, who should be uh, teaching us, they are teaching us uh, how to live after Jesus, and yet underneath they are nothing like Jesus. And we know how destructive this can be. Religious hypocrisy is the worst kind of hypocrisy. And maybe this is why Jesus in this passage, is saying some of his, his most forceful and, and strongest words in his entire earthly ministry. Some of the, the things he says here to the religious leaders are, are quite hard for us to take, aren't they? It, it, but it's not, an, it's not an easy passage. Well, it's not easy. It's easy in the sense of understanding. I think it's pretty clear, but it's not easy to hear it when we read this as being directed towards ourselves. All week long, um, and I've had conversations with various people about this, I've been, I've been plagued by the question, am I a hypocrite? Uh, and I'll be honest with you, studying this passage this week, um, it, the, God has revealed to me some of the most hypocritical parts of my life. Uh, and that's not easy to face up to. And I've had to say sorry to God for certain things in my life and, and change uh, my ways. It's not easy to face up to these things, but we need to face up to it because Jesus... He's talking about it. And he talks about it with these religious leaders of the day. And he doesn't pull his punches. He doesn't hold back. And even though he's speaking to religious leaders, the principles apply to all of us who claim to know and love God. So they're religious leaders. These are the people who, the, the Pharisees and the, the lawyers, the scribes, they, they're the ones who claim to know God and claim to love God. Just like we do. We claim we know and we love God. And Jesus is saying that, listen, Religious hypocrisy is the opposite of the gospel. It's the opposite of the kingdom of God. And actually, religious, religious hypocrisy will incur God's wrath. We, we, there, it's out there. We've said it now. God's wrath is in this passage. God's judgment is in this passage. And it's this forceful challenge we get this morning. And so my prayer is that as we hear 
Jesus speak, and as we kind of like, uh, as it were, look in the window in this Pharisee's house and see him at dinner and look at this conversation, listen to this conversation, that, that maybe the, the Holy Spirit would, would challenge us and would speak to us, and ultimately that, that we would be blessed by the freedom that comes from being rid of hypocrisy. So this, this passage, I think, shows us four things about religious hypocrisy, and the first is this, that religious hypocrisy cares only about the external. Hypocrisy only cares about what's on the outside. We saw this in, as, as Hannah read for us in verses 37 to 41. Jesus, uh, while he was speaking to the crowd, a Pharisee comes over and says, would you like to come to dinner with me? The Pharisee, verse 38, was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. The Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms to those, those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So Jesus goes at the invitation of this Pharisee to dinner. But before the food is even served, the Pharisees are appalled. They're shocked. They were astonished because Jesus didn't wash his hands. Like, this is the most shocking thing to them. Like as you see, see the state of Abigail's fingernails when she comes to dinner, they would be appalled at her. Um, we do clean our children. She just gets dirty a lot because she's digging in the garden or whatever. Um, but this hand washing, this washing before dinner, nothing to do with hygiene for these guys, right? You see, they saw the outside world as, as, as dirty and impure. Um, so when you've been, as a good, holy person of God, you've been out mingling with people all day, you carry their filth into your house with them, and so before you come, you want to wash those impure people off you. You want to make yourself pure. Now, this wasn't a command of God. This is not something that is required in the law of Moses. The, the Pharisees had made it a condition of being holy. They, they were trying to keep themselves pure. Washing their hands wasn't about hygiene it was about self-righteousness. And Jesus just simply refuses to play their game. He doesn't make a big fuss of it. He just sits down at the table. Because he knows that purity and holiness has nothing to do with how clean we can make ourselves or how good we can make ourselves, but, but it has everything to do with our hearts. Now, me and Haley are, are different in many ways, and one of the most obvious ways in our house is how we do the dishes. Uh, Haley is thorough. I am fast, Right? So I'll get it done in like 10 minutes, but they may not be done very well. Uh, so the odd time you'll go to the cupboard and lift something out and you'll see that there's, you know, dried on food in the inside of the bowl or the saucepan because I've just lifted out the dishwasher, not looked at it, and just threw it in the cupboard because I want to get it done fast. And Jesus says that being concerned only about what's on the outside, external cleanliness, and not caring about the state of your heart is like only washing the outside of the dishes. Like, you wouldn't do that, would you? It seems that's why Jesus says it's foolish. It's not that the outside isn't important, but the inside is way more important. It's the bit that you eat off. It's the bit the food comes into contact with. And yet, when we're only concerned about our outward appearance of holiness, this is exactly what we do. And we all do this. All of us are guilty of this in various ways. Maybe, uh, you know, when we're with our missional communities, or with our closest brothers and sisters, that we, we kind of sanitize our prayer requests. Like Liam's very good at this. He'd be like, any prayer requests? And then he's like, you guys must be all holy because <laughs> you do no prayer requests. We, we sanitize our prayer requests because we don't want to appear as in need as we actually are. Or, or we don't share our deepest confessions or spiritual needs because we want to come across more holy or better than we are. 
We don't want people to know, actually, I'm struggling with this sin in my life. Or when we come to gathering on Sunday mornings, we sing and pray and worship. We maybe even stand up and preach that we know that we haven't been walking with Jesus all week. Or maybe we give generously to the church and we give to those in need. But actually, we don't spend time with those in need or, or care for those in need within our communities. And it's so easy. I, I think especially in, in, in our culture today, it's so easy to care only about outward appearance, isn't it? And it's one of the oldest temptations in the book. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, what was the first thing they did? They sewed leaves together to cover up their nakedness and then they hid from God. They, wanted to, they thought that the outside was the important bit. And it's not that the visible stuff isn't important, right? Jesus says this. The, the, the Pharisees gave alms to the poor. That's like, you know, money you would give to the poor. And, and, and that was a visible thing. And Jesus says, don't stop that. But in verse 41, he, he tells them, give as alms those things are, are, that are within. So in other words, it's not just about what you do on the outside. It's about giving what's in your heart. Give your heart to God. Anybody can appear holy and godly and clean. But give God your heart. And when we do this, Jesus says, look at the, the end of verse 41. He says, and behold, everything is clean to you. In other words, when, when, you, when you clean what's on the inside, when that's given over to God, everything becomes clean. We're transformed from the inside out. We can try and try and try to make ourselves clean, but the best we can do is to wash the outside of the bowl. You know, but unless our hearts are given over to God, then the inside's going to remain dirty. If all we try to do is clean up our behavior, that can't really save us. It can never really change who we are. In fact, it's, a, it's religious hypocrisy, and religious hypocrisy doesn't lead to anything good. Over the course of the conversation, Jesus repeatedly says, woe to you. He does it six times in all, right? Uh, three to the Pharisees and three to the lawyers. So when we use the word woe, I don't think we really use it that much, but it might be like when you watch, I don't know, Spurs play football, and, and you're like, that is woeful, or you're out and you hear a musician in the corner just murdering one of your favorite songs. You're like, that is woeful. But in the biblical context, the word woe means total calamity, destruction. It has connotations of the wrath and judgment of God. In fact, if we look at the at Revelation 9, we see the details of, of God's wrath being poured out. And it's awful and terrible. And it's described as a series of woes. When the Old Testament prophets declared woe on the people, it was a warning of God's coming judgment if they didn't repent. And so when Jesus begins to address the hypocrisy of the religious leaders here, he says, woe to you. What he's actually doing is pronouncing God's judgment on them if they don't repent. Calamity and destruction is coming your way because of your religious hypocrisy. And as much as hypocrisy frustrates us, and disappoints us, and annoys us, Jesus says, it merits God's wrath, which is frightening. <laughs> and we see these first two woes in verses 42 and 43. Jesus says, but woe to you, Pharisee, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice 
and the love of God. And these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Now, caring only about the external shows up in, in two ways. Firstly, when we only care about the external, we claim to love God, but we neglect people. Claim to love God, but we neglect people. You see, the Pharisees here, concerned only with the outward appearance of holiness, they've become obsessed with the details and missed the big picture. They've missed the point entirely. So my father-in-law, who I love dearly, um, he takes ages to tell a story, right? Like ages. So one of the things we always slag him off for is he'll do this thing and be like, um, so I was watching this TV show, right? He loves um, Gone Fishing with uh, Paul Whitehouse and Bob Mortimer, which is just a lovely, relaxing very wholesome TV show. And he's like, I was watching Gone Fishing the other night on BBC Two. Uh, or was it BBC One? Um, or they'd be like, uh, it was about seven o'clock or maybe it was eight o'clock. Um, and we were sitting down a cup of tea and we were having a biscuit. Or, or surely was that, were we having cake, were we? And then uh, Bob comes on, he's wearing a red jumper and, uh, or maybe it was a blue jumper. And you're like, would you just ever get to the point of the story? And he loves it. But you're just like, get to the point. This is what the Pharisees have done with the law. They go so far into the detail. You see, the, the law required you to set a, cent a, a tenth of what your field produced every year, but there was no specific mention of herbs. But the Pharisees had added these rules in about tithing your herbs, and it's not that there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with going the extra mile. But what they had done was they had made the non-central thing Something that is not central, they had made it the central thing, and they had missed out on the central thing altogether. You see, the law is ambiguous about herbs, but it is very, very clear about the love of God and justice. Micah verse six, or chapter 6, verse 8 says this. This is Old Testament, okay? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Guys, it's so easy in, in churches like ours, good Bible teaching churches, that in our search for the truth and to understand God's word clearly that we can be so concerned about getting our doctrine right and nailing down our theology that we neglect the central things. Jesus, when asked about what, what's the summation of the law, love God and love your neighbor. This is what he said. Loving God, enjoying Him, actually pursuing that, and then uh, uh, pursuing Him, and then out of that, doing justice, care for the poor, being company for the lonely, defending the weak, standing up for the oppressed. These are the things that should define our lives if we say we love God. And if they're not, then we're hypocrites. And I was just, it, it just hit me this week that Jesus isn't messing about here. Like, this is, it, He's not joking. If we claim to know him and follow him and our lives aren't marked by a love for God and demonstrations of justice, then we are hypocrites. And Jesus says, woe to us. And sometimes we look at the Pharisees and we're like, and those guys, we either view them as some kind of like pantomime villains, you know, like the kind of caricatures of, of bad or something. Uh, uh, but, but we're just like them. See, th th they were genuine in their desire for holiness. They, they were sincere in their pursuit of righteousness. But as they tried to dot the I's and cross the T's, they missed out in the bigger picture. 
God wants us to love him and to demonstrate that love to those in need. And to separate those things is hypocritical. It's just to have an appearance, to be concerned about the external, to claim to love God and neglect others. But the second way that caring for the external shows up in our lives is that that we seek the recognition of others. We seek the recognition of others. In verse 43, Jesus says that the Pharisees, they, they wanted the front row seats at the synagogue. Um, they wanted to be up the front. You know, like, in, maybe you've been part of a church, or seen a church where, like, the, the, you know, the elders would sit along the pulpit or something like that. Um, never really understood that, but they, they wanted to be seen. And they wanted to walk into town and walk in the market and everyone would be like, oh, how are you doing, sir? Nice to see you. You're looking great. Like, they wanted the recognition. I'm the man. I'm the, I'm the man in the religion world. And he pronounces, Jesus pronounces judgment on them, woe on them, because this is antithetical. It's the opposite to doing justice and loving God. See, to do justice, to love God, is to put our needs second to the needs of others. To love God is to be satisfied with his recognition and not need the recognition of people. In chapter 10, we saw that uh, whenever Jesus went to Mary and Martha's house, one of my favorite passages in the Gospels, actually, um, Jesus commends Mary. Why? Because she desired just to be close to him. Mary wasn't concerned about having the right image or being recognized for doing lots of work to serve her guests. She was just concerned about being close to her Lord. Isn't there something really beautiful about that? And, and honestly, the, the self-promotion, social media projection mentality is so ingrained into us now that, that we don't even realize that it has infected how we view Christianity, how it has infected the church. Without even realizing that we naturally project a, a, a performance, don't we? A performative spirituality. We want people to see that we're okay. If not, we, if not good. And for the Pharisees, Jesus says, this is like walking over unmarked graves. You see, the law said that contact with death made you ceremonially unclean. So, so tombs were whitewashed. They were painted white so that you would, could see them and, and not touch them and therefore not become unclean. But with their self-promotion, self-righteous kind of religion, the Pharisees have walked over unmarked graves and, and, and they don't even know it. So they, they, they think that they are clean because they washed their hands and tied their herbs, but, but they are unclean without even knowing it. It's like stepping in dog dirt in the street without realizing it and then coming into your house and, and, and stepping it into the carpet. And when we are concerned about the external and not the internal, this is what we do. Uh, John Stark, who's a, a pastor in New York, writes about this in a book called The Secret Place of Thunder, which it came out this year, and I highly recommend it. I think we should all read this. And he says this, and then I'll move on. He says, a performative life might lead others at least momentarily to think you are impressive or give a brief sense that you're going to be okay. But these benefits are fleeting. It will not lead to a deep abiding sense of God's presence, an experiential grasp of his love and healing from your insecurities, anxiety, and grief. Instead, pray, fast, and labor for the poor in secret ways so the Father who sees can satisfy you. Pray, fast, labor for the poor. In other words, love God, pursue him, justice. 
justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. The, the, the kind of encouragement I, mean, I want to give us is to just pursue a deep relationship with Jesus. Uh, this idea of, of stealing away with him. Cultivate a desire to be with him and, uh, and knowing that, that he loves you and that nothing else ultimately matters. And, and out of that place, then we can serve the poor freely without posting it on Instagram or telling other people what we're doing. This is the antidote to religious hypocrisy that is only concerned about the external. Now, I've used half my time on my first point, and I've got four points. So, <laughs> Secondly, then, as the, as the meal goes on, we see that religious hypocrisy is an obstacle in the path to salvation. Uh, we see this in verses 45 and 46 and verse 52. So it's up there on the screen. I think, is it, uh, is it on the screen, Ethan? Yeah, there we go. Um, one of the lawyers answers him and says, you know, teacher, by saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, woe to you, lawyers, for you load people um, with burdens too hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Literally, you're not even lifting a finger. Verse 52, he goes on with the lawyers, woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Now, I love this bit because it's kind of funny, because one of the teachers of the law, they're also called scribes, he says, hey, Jesus, in, by the way, in saying these things about the Pharisees, you're kind of insulting us too. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, you're right. Woe to you as well. And he's like, why could I not just, uh, I'd be that guy. Why could I just not have said nothing? Why not just sit there quietly? But he has to say it. And Jesus responds saying, you guys, in your religious hypocrisy, you're actually an obstacle in people knowing God. See, the lawyers were the interpreters of the Old Testament. They were the experts, and their job was to, to, to teach people how to obey it. Their job was to make the Scriptures clear so that people could come to know God and follow Him. But instead, what they had done was they had made it way more obscure and complicated, and they had made it actually a burden that was too heavy to, to carry, and then they weren't even lifting a finger to try and carry the burden themselves. They weren't helping people. I have a friend who's an expert in computers, really, really smart guy. He helps us out sometimes with stuff in church. And, and every now and again, I'll ask him a question about what he's doing or something. And I instantly regret asking him because for me, the problem is the internet's not working. For him, it's like a list of 17 different things about IP addresses and network connectivity and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I literally, I, I feel more confused now than when I ask you what's happening. Now, that's not to do with him. I'm a total dummy when it comes to computers. I just kind of like glaze over and be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, great, yeah, yeah. But Jesus says, this is what we do when we make knowing God more complicated than he does. The lawyers made the law a heavy burden for people, and the hypocrisy is they didn't even lift a finger to try and carry the burden themselves. This is what we do when we complicate the way of Jesus. So clearly, when we get saved, when we trust in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, our lives will change. You see this in new Christians all the time. You're like, wow, you're like almost overnight, you have different desires and things in your life start to change. But what is wrong is when we require that change before people even come to know Jesus. Even worse is when we impose moral or religious standards on people and then don't even try to live up to them ourselves. This kind of hypocrisy is an obstacle in the way of people coming to know Jesus. See, the gospel is not, you have to clean yourself up. You have to 
stop whatever behavior it is. You have to stop getting drunk. You have to stop sleeping with people. You have to be straight. You have to give money to the poor and then come to Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's the gospel. And when we complicate the gospel with all these moral requirements, we become hypocrites. Because the truth is that we are all just sinners daily relying on the grace of Jesus, right? That's all any of us are. A number of years ago, um, a missional organization kept a record of the most common oppositions they heard to the gospel message over a period of about 10 years or so. And among them was the claim that the church is full of hypocrites. And you probably, you've probably heard that said before. Now, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think this church is full of sinners, yes. <laughs> but being honest about your sin and struggles is not hypocrisy. But it is true that hypocrisy is in the church and it is in our lives and that hypocrisy is an obstacle in the path to salvation. So we need to be honest with people and authentic about our sin and say, yeah, like I sin, I stumble, I fail, but Jesus never fails and that's why you can trust him too. Like it absolutely terrifies me that my actions and attitudes could be an obstacle in people knowing Jesus. When we claim to love God, but the things we say about him at work betray him. When we claim to love God, but we neglect those in need. And yet, Jesus says, this is like having the key to knowledge, knowledge of him, and then stopping people from entering. And likewise, we do the same with our brothers and sisters inside the church. It's so easy to impose our own rules and regulations, extra biblical commands on people. So we might have, for good reasons, some rules to help us follow Jesus, and that's great. You may be one of those people who gets up at five, half five every morning to spend an hour in prayer. And that's great. If that Do that, please. But it would be wrong to impose that on other people. One of the marks of religious hypocrisy is being over-concerned about the behavior of other Christians, caring more about rules than we do about relationships. Yes, we should challenge each other and admonish each other, but only in line with the word of God, not our own preferences and traditions. This is why we've made one of our core values in our church, spiritual honesty and authenticity. Because we want our church to be a place where it's okay to be honest about where we are spiritually without needing to pretend. A place where doubt is best explored within the security of, of, of the church family where we offer a sense of belonging and, and, and can be communities of grace in which people can be open and vulnerable, where we will not let our welcome be dependent on uh, adherence to any cultural, religious norms not demanded by the gospel, and being very clear that we are all just relying on the never-ending saving grace of Jesus. Because this is what we need, isn't it? There's so much scrutiny and legalism in our culture today. It must be exhausting if, if that's what you're trying to live by. The, the pressure to perform and fit in and project image. This right now, that's all the world can offer people. Trying to walk the tightrope of being true to yourself, whatever that means, and not being cancelled. 
that's what the world offers people. But the gospel, the, the gospel of Jesus offers freedom and rest. So the church, what we need to do is, is strive to be a sanctuary for tired sinners. We should strive to be a culture of grace, not performance. So let's strive to do this for, for each other and to welcome anyone who desires to enter. Let's be careful how we evangelize. Let's be careful how we disciple and do these things in such a way that we don't block the path to salvation. Our job is not to convert people to our ideas, our traditions, or even our political preferences. Our job is simple. Show them and each other Jesus. That's it. Thirdly then, I'm going to try and speed up a little bit. Religious hypocrisy rejects God's word. We see this in verse 47 to 51, which is, is kind of a complicated bit of text. Jesus says, Woe to you, um, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. You see, Jesus is saying that religious hypocrisy rejects God's word but gives the impression of honoring it. The Old Testament, uh, the prophets brought the word of God and much like Jesus doing here, it often came with a warning of common judgment if they didn't repent. And time and time again, the people didn't receive that well and persecuted the prophets and often killed them. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus is talking to here, are descendants of the ones who killed the prophets. But now, what they're doing with their religion is that they're trying to give the impression of honoring the prophets. And they've built these tombs, these monuments for the prophets. And they see these monuments as evidence of the fact that, that actually we honor the prophets. But Jesus says, no, you're just like your forefathers who killed them. You claim to honor the word of God, but in fact, what you do through your hypocrisy is you, you try to silence God's voice. Just like your forefathers, you reject the word of God. And then Jesus gives his own prophecy. that He says that this generation will persecute and kill the prophets too. It's already happened. John the Baptist has already been beheaded. Soon, Jesus himself is going to be killed because of his words. And later on, after the resurrection, most of the apostles will be killed. Then you think that this sin is just of your fathers, but it's your sin too. You're kind of trying to silence God's voice while giving the appearance of honoring it. Listen, you might think, I, I don't reject God's word. Like I'm, I'm part of a church that preaches God's word. I, I, I even follow a Bible reading plan. And I know that this is tough to hear and nobody wants to be faced with these challenges. But Jesus is speaking and so we need to listen. All of us reject God's word. We do. How do I know that? Firstly, because I know myself. And secondly, because we all disobey and fail to live his word in our lives. James 1, 22 says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word, okay? And John, Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, right? And so when we read the Bible and take it in and understand it, but don't put it into practice, we're rejecting it. 
we're silencing God's voice, when we don't pray for those who persecute us, when we don't love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, when we, when we look to porn or dating to fulfill uh, our, our longings, even though the Bible says that Jesus is our fulfillment, in so many ways, we try to silence God's voice. And when we reject God's word, we are religious hypocrites. Why? Because when we reject God's word, we reject Jesus himself. This is a real challenge for us this morning. And, and I, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to hear this. Um, I, I'm not much of an instructions guy. <laughs> so when the kids get a new toy or, uh, you know, something like a game or something that needs to be built, I just get straight in all the pieces out of the box, start putting it together because there's a picture or something. And invariably, I'll have to go back and start again and take bits off and do the instructions. And the danger is that we don't pay any serious attention to God's word or we try to silence the bits that challenge us or that we don't like or we disagree with and then we wonder why we don't grow or we keep getting things wrong or we keep failing. Claiming to be Christian and not take his word seriously is religious hypocrisy and Jesus says, woe to you. Destruction will come your way if you reject his word. Finally then, the fourth thing we see about religious hypocrisy is this. Religious hypocrisy produces hardness of heart. Verses 53 and 54. As he went away from there, so Jesus has left the table. Kind of, I can imagine that would be pretty awkward. <laughs> See you guys, they're all like annoyed at him. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him and speak about, provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is their response, right? Their response, their response to this warning of judgment is to harden their hearts against him. The lion, they, they want to ambush him. They want to, from now on, their only concern was that we have to get rid of this guy because he has, what he is saying, we hate and the point is this, that when faced with a warning of judgment, there, there are only two responses, right? When we're faced with God's word, there's only two responses. One is being like this, we harden our hearts. We say, no way, I'm not, I'm not putting that into practice. I'm not believing that. Or we repent. We either accept it or we reject it. And so the question for us on a daily basis, particularly right now as, as Jesus speaks to us through these pages, the question for us is, is, how will we respond? This challenge of, of hypocrisy, how are we going to respond? And the good news is, religious hypocrisy is not the only option. Like, we don't have to be hypocrites. You see, the answer in all of this is, is to trust in Jesus. I know that sounds like a very simple <laughs> kind of answer, but it's true. Jesus is also always the answer, by the way. Because when we lean into Jesus, when we, when we see him for who he is in his word, when we hear him and follow him, we see that he is our example of being not hypocritical. Jesus is not a hypocrite. He has no mask. Did you know where that, that word comes from, by the way? Hypocrite. It's from, it's from the world of the Greek theater. The play actors were the ones who wore masks. Jesus doesn't wear a mask. He is entirely consistent. 
He comes in and he sits down and he didn't wash his hands and he, he, he didn't make a big deal of it. But he wasn't going to play act. And he spoke honestly and openly to their faces about their concerns and their challenges and their traps. He wasn't going to lie and wait for them, talk behind their back, trying to catch them out. Jesus is the ultimate example of what you see is what you get. And in him, we have our example of how to live consistent lives. And you're thinking, yeah, that's great. I know he's my example, but I try to do it and I feel and I feel and I feel and I feel. And I hear you because that's me. As much as I try, I'm still a hypocrite. But here's the even more incredible thing. Jesus isn't just our example. He's our redeemer. <laughs> and this is, this is the good news I need to hear. All the woe, all the judgment that should have been ours for our hypocrisy, he takes that on himself. Now, think about this for a second. Here's Jesus at a very real table, enjoying a very, enjoying, at a very, maybe not enjoying, at a very real meal with very real people. And he's saying to them, woe to you. Judgment is coming your way. All the while, he knows that in a short time, he's going to go and take that woe on himself. You see that? Woe to you. The, the, the woe that is pronounced over us because of our hypocrisy, he takes on himself on the cross so that when we trust in him, it's no longer woe to you, it's woe to him. Reli religion offers hypocrisy, but Jesus offers grace. I just think that's amazing. And I just think that, I just want to talk about this forever. And when we receive his grace and know that we've been accepted by him, instead of caring about the external and what people think, we can be secure in his love. Instead of being an obstacle in the way of others, we can simply show them Jesus and tell him of his grace that we have also received. Instead of rejecting his word, we can embrace it. And like David says in the Psalms, delight in it and meditate on it. Not because it's a burden, but because it actually leads to life and freedom. It leads away from destruction. Do you see how this passage that's full of challenge actually is comforting? It's, it's actually freeing. And so just before I pray, I thought maybe um, I thought maybe we could just take a few seconds, a couple of moments in silence, just maybe you want to close your eyes and, and maybe just ask God to reveal to you the Holy Spirit that lives in you, if you're a Christian, the, the areas of hypocrisy in your own heart and in your own life, the inconsistencies. And, and, and then instead of being consumed with, with guilt and dread and, and destruction, then instead give them over to Jesus and, and receive the grace of Jesus. And maybe even for the first time. And this is simply doing what the Pharisees here didn't do. It's to, to repent and accept his grace. And know that there is freedom and the woe he pronounces for hypocrisy. Actually, he takes that woe on himself so that you can be free. Let's just take a few seconds before I pray. Come Holy Spirit.
Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for Luke, who, who, who didn't skip over the hard conversations with Jesus, but recorded them faithfully. I want to thank you for that blessing of his ministry to us. And I want to thank you for your words, Lord Jesus, that, man, they, they, they challenge our hearts, but um, it's, it's in a good way, Lord. It's like doing surgery and, and getting rid of the cancer. Uh, Lord Jesus, I just pray for all of us because we all have hypocrisy in our lives. I just pray that as you show us these areas that we would realize require nothing of us except to come to you and say, yes, I am a hypocrite. Forgive me. And knowing, Lord, that you have taken on our judgment. So I pray for freedom in our midst. I pray for your spirit to work and heal hearts and to convict us and to bring joy. Um, Lord, I pray that we would not ever try to project anything on the outside that isn't true on the inside. Know that actually the path to freedom is to as you've told us to just rely on your grace. Father, may we be a genuine, authentic community of people who just rely on your grace. Father, as we come to your table now, we just ask that you would uh, meet with us again in that special way. Lord Jesus, let us feast in your grace. May we be assured of our forgiveness, even though we knew that we we're all hypocritical. May we be assured of the forgiveness that you've won for us on the cross. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Um, in, in response to, to that amazing grace of Jesus, we're going to come and share this meal like we do every week. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking that the Pharisees were hypocritical in their invitation to Jesus. They were saying, ah, oh, come, you know, this guy's like, oh, come and have this meal with me so I can tr trick you or so he can catch you out. But when Jesus invites us to eat with him, to feast on him, there's no hidden agenda. He says, I offer you grace. I said I, I love you, and look how I've proved it. Come and be satisfied that my body has been broken for you, and that my blood has been shed for you. So, so Jesus is inviting us to come and receive.